I like to start by taking refuge. So feel free to join if you'd like. Uh, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. Wonderful to see you all. On Monday nights, we've been exploring um, the five elements as teachings, as teachers, as Dharma gates, uh, as ways of entering into the intimacy of this life. And uh, at this phase of the five elements, we're on space. So we've gone through earth, water, fire, air, and now we're on space. And today I wanted to talk about um, spaciousness uh, in the form of emptiness. So spaciousness is one way that we uh, translate this word shunyata, um, which is also translated as emptiness. And I want to talk about emptiness because I think emptiness as a concept can get um, murky in our in our practice and it can be important to talk about because without the concept we have some a vague idea of it and maybe some reaction to it like oh I really want that or I really don't want that um, so it may help us navigate some really important territory in practice the realization of emptiness or opening to another way of saying that is opening to the spacious nature of mind or the ground of being um, is really key to liberation in the Buddhist sense. Um, but you know, those words alone don't really capture the experience of what we're talking about, which is selfless compassion, selfless love. So, um, you know, forgive me, sometimes <laughs> we had this teacher in, um, in our community, Hoban, who used to say he, whenever he would open his mouth to teach, he felt like he was like wearing garden boots and just like stomping around in the mud all over the Dharma. <laughs> so sometimes I feel that way too. Um, so you know, hearing the word emptiness, I think one of the things that can happen because that, that word has a loaded feeling, um, feeling tone in our culture and in, in the English language, it can invoke a sense of feeling empty, um, which we might associate with depression, we might associate with longing or loss or grief or like an existential feeling that we've kind of put in this category of like, don't go there. And so then you like enter a tradition and we're like chanting about emptiness and talking about emptiness. And there can be this like, what, what is that all about? Or this kind of like, not for me, I'll go with the compassion, but I don't know about that emptiness. But emptiness in Buddhism, like I said before, it refers to, to spaciousness, to, to the ground of being, to like our essential nature. And it's 
we're referring to where our experience is empty of a separate self and therefore full of everything. And so it's like this like linchpin, like, like this, this kind of swinging door, like we have a tendency to make something that isn't something in the sense that we act like it is into something and that blocks us from the everything that we are we like pinch off a part of everything and say oh that's me and those thoughts are mine but in reality all of this everything that's manifesting is us and it's manifesting in this spacious ground of being that is us so therefore we are full of everything emptiness is actually full of everything chosen roshi liked to use the translation of emptiness i haven't heard many other teachers use she's she would say it's pure potential energy pure potential energy I notice in, in myself throughout my practice and, and in many others in this kind of modern era that we're in that we tend to want to choose other words for emptiness. And there are a lot of like really good uh, translations that can point to other aspects of emptiness and help us begin to recognize and like kind of bring more of ourselves online for like venturing into the teachings of emptiness or venturing into the exploration of emptiness so so spaciousness is a really good word that we can really like kind of in a way like sink our teeth into and and begin to practice um, bringing more spaciousness into our meditation or um, into other aspects of our lives openness is another um, helpful word, good, good translation, boundlessness. Emptiness, the, the word shunyata actually translates as zero-ness. And I like that, like zero, that, that circle. Like we have the enso, the circle. That's a, a symbol of completeness, right? So while it's like a kind of absent sign, it's also a symbol of, of wholeness. So while um, openness and spaciousness and boundlessness and zeroness can help us begin to recognize attributes of, of the ground of being or awareness itself, they don't at least directly address the fundamental point. And that's part of what I want to talk about tonight. And that, that fundamental point being that we tend to reify our experience. We, we tend to, out of habit, out of like deep, deep habit, perhaps lifetimes, hundreds of thousands of lifetimes, <laughs> habit of reifying the one who is aware or awareness. And we reify that, that sense of because 
there's an experience of being aware and there's an experience of, of knowing. Like we, you know, if you, if you really tune in to what your most basic experience is, there's this knowing awareness. There's this like sense of, of recognition. But we tend to, and we tend to, just call that me. And then that me, which we don't really investigate, because that's, that's part of what this practice is about, is investigate. Okay, we're calling that me, but, but what is it? Really, what is it? that we're referring to as me. What is that knowing awareness? But we tend to not even go there. We just have the experience of recognition or of knowing or of awareness. And we say, oh, that's me. And then we kind of lump a lot of other things into this me. So I am my thoughts. I am these body sensations. I am what I don't like, I am my opinions, da, 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 da. and we build from that just sense of pure awareness, we build this character that we call myself. And we don't really question that either often before we start practicing. So we can get into having this gigantic aura of a self that's composed of our likes and our dislikes and our reactivity, all that kind of happen unquestioned. So a pra- the practice of emptiness and in the practice of meditation and awareness is beginning to recognize what is built up on top of and getting down to the ground itself. So Buddhism is both a path of healing and a path of awakening. The Buddha referred to, well, maybe this was after the Buddha's time, but the Buddha is referred to as, as a doctor sometimes. And the Dharma is referred to as medicine. So, so it's, and, and many of us have probably had the experience of the Dharma, whether it's a teaching or an experience in meditation or experience of prolonged meditation, um, being healing on some level. I imagine that's part of why you keep coming back or, or you have faith that it is or could be for you. And Buddhism is also a path of awakening and, and for some people those can mean the same exact thing. And there's no need to differentiate. And maybe that's true for all of us at some points, but sometimes it can be helpful to differentiate. Like what what do we mean by a path of healing and what do we mean by a path of awakening? So I'm gonna use that bifurcation, (laughs) those two paths, just as a teaching tool tonight. So the path of healing, let's say, is a path of love and compassion, which is really, really, really foundational to our practice. And sometimes we can begin meditation 
not from a place of love and compassion, but eventually if we're really going to, to walk the Buddhist path, our practice needs to be rooted in love and compassion or it just won't open up. It won't, it won't really go anywhere. So this path of love and compassion includes embracing and welcoming and, and for many people can feel like, like a homecoming. So many people when they come to the monastery feel like, say like, oh, I feel like I'm home. And often they're referring to just like coming back to home to themselves, like coming back home to, to our bodies. Like when, as we exist in um, our daily lives, for many of us, by the time we find practice, we're living, you know, James Joyce quote, like we're living like some degree away from our bodies or like in our heads. Our bodies often, often, often are doing one thing while our minds are doing something else. And so like, it can be hard to come back home to the body. For a lot of people, the body can store trauma, it can um, store injury, it can be painful at times. And yet, like, it can also be just so deeply satisfying to inhabit our own skin, to feel that sense of acceptance, to be able to, even if it's just for moments at a time, really be embodied. And, and we come back home, you know, not just to our bodies, but we come back home to, to ourselves, to like aligning body and mind to like what is most essential to us. So sometimes we come to practice and we're like far off from like who we really want to be. The person that we really feel like we are deep down. We've made decisions, we've, you know, picked up habits and we're, we just feel that sense of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm living a false life. And so coming back, like starting Buddhist practice or, or into Buddhist practice or into meditation, following the precepts, we can, you know, begin to have that sense of, oh, I'm living more in alignment or more in an integrity with who I really am, with what feels right. And then and this path of healing that I'm talking about is also a path of insight and understanding. So we come into greater awareness of how our minds work and how to respond more skillfully to our own suffering and reactivity and pain and the suffering in the world and in our relationships. Now, the path of awakening is also a path of love and compassion, deeply grounded in love and compassion. But it's also a path of wisdom and, and prajna wisdom is the word I would use there. Wisdom, prajna is sometimes translated as wisdom beyond wisdom. So it's not the wisdom of understanding ourselves a little bit better or getting insight into why we 
are afraid of dust or why we react in certain ways in certain situations. It's a different kind of wisdom. And this is again the wisdom of, of emptiness, of, of true self. So this path of awakening, the way I'm defining it, it's a path of direct seeing where the small self, we use that word sometimes, where this, this of egoic self is opened into its true nature, which is one way to say it, selfless love and compassion as our body-mind. And many of us come to practice feeling broken, fractured, misaligned, maybe feeling that mind-body split, maybe aware of just systemic oppression, maybe having experienced trauma in some form. Maybe we suffer a life of distract, distract, dist <laughs> distraction, inattention, or what we call in Buddhism, ignorance. And probably for most of us, it's a mixture of all of these that we only begin to be able to, to articulate after we sit with ourselves for some hours. So sometimes we don't really know, or maybe we have some idea of like, oh, like this isn't working. What I'm doing isn't working. I'm not happy. I don't feel fulfilled. I'm, I'm suffering. I'm saying the things I don't want to say and I don't know how to stop. I'm doing the things I don't want to do and I don't know how to stop. But then we, we begin to sit with ourselves for hours or over the course of months and we might start to see more of why I'm here, <laughs> what, what's going on, what's, what is attracting me to this practice. We might begin to feel that misalignment on a different level. I know for me, I started practicing because I had a sense, like I had that sense of I'm not living the life that I know I could be living. Like I, I want to live from compassion. That's my aspiration. I say it to myself, but yet I'm doing and saying all these things that are hurting people and are hurting myself. And I just can't quite figure out why, what's going on there. And it wasn't until I tried sitting that I realized, oh, probably part of the reason that is happening is because I'm not present. My body was restless. My mind was distracted. I, I came to these realizations over and over again. Fear is running my life. Shame is running my life. And these you know, insights into how the self was constructed and the suffering that comes from that construction, those beliefs, um, that happened over the course of years. And so the path of healing isn't like something that we do in the beginning and then we enter the path of awakening. It's like they, they coexist. That's why I said for, for many people, it might just be one path and we don't need to label it these two different labels. And they go, they so go together and will always go together. 
You might have your own words for them. So fortunately, Zen practice doesn't just show us the disease, show us how um, unruly our minds are, or how unruly our hearts are, our behavior is. It also is medicine. It's medicine for the fracture, for the misalignment. And so we learn to, and, and can learn to, in this path of presence, come back into alignment. We learn to inhabit our own bodies. We learn to attend to the flow of thoughts and emotions. We learn to make space for the parts of us that we habitually push away. We learn to be kind to ourselves and and with the precepts to live a, a life of inquiry and compassion and integrity. And for any of that, for any of that to happen, like including like right, you know, being embodied, it starts with attention. It starts with cultivating presence, which which I sometimes think of is as the ability to bear witness to our experience. That's so much of what we're doing when we practice meditation. It's like being able to bear witness to our experience without meddling in it, without trying to fix it, without trying to think our way out of it. And, and with practice, you know, without also dissociating from it or um, just reacting to it in the habitual way. So any practice that we do starts with attention. The path of healing, the path of awakening starts with attention, starts with presence. It's, it's like, like deeply coming back home to ourselves, like I said before, and that's like coming home to our bodies, coming home to our senses, grounding in the here and now. You know, for many of us, like we go through life on autopilot, or at least we did before we started practicing. And so to like actually see what's in front of us is a big next step to like notice people in the supermarket or on the street or at work to enjoy like the simple things in life, like eating. <laughs> not just rushing through, right? But to like actually feel our feet touch the earth when we walk, like to actually know, feel, attend to our breath and our body and sound. And perhaps you know, through this path of healing, through meditation, through mindfulness, beginning to taste what it feels like to have a stable mind to have stable attention, to be here in this body, to be actually present. So that's one of the first foundations of practice is being present, staying in the present moment, being with ourselves, companioning ourselves. And the next like goes off of that, it's learning to have a good relationship with ourselves. 
to be able to laugh at ourselves when we make mistakes or our minds get hooked in a particular habit pattern or to be able to respond with acceptance or loving kindness or compassion when we're reactive or dissociated or fearful or restless or awkward or did the thing that we didn't want to do. So those two are ongoing practices in this path of healing and are foundational in order to even do an emptiness practice, to even, like I, like I said, to even go on this path of awakening. It isn't very helpful or wise to try to approach emptiness practices without mental, emotional, and physical stability and a healthy amount of self-acceptance and compassion. It's just not wise. What will happen often is emptiness will get co-opted by the inner critic and, and, and in those words, like, yeah, you don't exist. Yeah, you shouldn't exist can get like like mean and that's not what emptiness is about it can be destabilizing or misunderstood by parts of us that may be afraid of annihilation or enmeshment or poor boundaries for good reason based on past experience so many of those parts need to be healed or at least uh, loved and included and and consent to a practice like emptiness or it's just going to feel destabilizing it's not going to it's not going to actually produce insight it's just going to like br bring up a lot in our systems and sometimes we don't know and we try a practice like emptiness and we get a big reaction and then we can kind of see from there like oh like there's a part of me that's really afraid of this does that part need anything else? Maybe being in relationship to that part for a while with compassion will reveal what that part might need in order to continue with practice, like continue on the path of awakening or continue with an emptiness practice you're interested in exploring. So when we're in a phase of practice that is really building those foundations, stabilizing attention, stabilizing mind, um, becoming present, coming home to ourselves and developing self-compassion, we can still practice um, with spaciousness. So practice with emptiness in its more welcoming forms. And that can be um, recognizing space within the body or space around inner conflict or beginning to recognize the spaciousness around thoughts or how spacious the mind is. And we can also practice openness, like opening our hearts in meditation, opening to parts of our bodies that maybe we habitually don't like to feel or push away. And some people might find um, stargazing or sky gazing to be calming practices that begin to work with the element space and can have a spacious effect on our, our state of being by doing them. 
So now I'd like to talk more specifically about emptiness. Emptiness is an invitation, like I said, to inquire into our sense of self and to a sense of there being someone who is aware. And this inquiry can begin to turn us inside out. We recognize either gradually, and for most people it is a gradual recognition, but for many um, too, there can be some bigger experiences of this. Um, we, we begin to peer into this sense that we aren't just, or we aren't in the way that we thought we were this person that we call I, or we call by whatever name you use to refer to yourself but that we are actually the whole cosmos and every particle within it. And this person that we call I arises just like everything else, just like starlight and my voice and the sound of rain just arises within us as us, inseparable from us and that we were actually never born. The ground of being, I sometimes refer to it as the unborn, never born, will never die. And what's happening now is this beautiful display, this beautiful dream, where we get to have a human experience as well through this person's senses this person that you refer to as I. And it's much more than that. Language, language um, is limiting. And while it's not necessarily within the experience always a grounded experience, it can be deeply grounding. So it's not like, oh, I lost my sense of self and now I don't have any boundaries. It's like we learn, and sometimes for some people who have more like bigger openings, it can be like a whoa, like blown open, and then kind of have to learn to be a self again. And then we dance form an emptiness. So emptiness isn't like the end all be all. In the ox herding pictures, there's 10 ox herding pictures, and this emptiness experience is number eight. And then we have to come back together and for most people, what happens is they have, a t they touch emptiness or they see into the self or they go like inside out for a moment. And then the self comes back and is like, whoop. And we have like the reification comes back. But, but that memory of, oh wait, I'm not, my thoughts stays. And if, if anyone's familiar with Byron Katie, she had a similar experience as that. She got blown open. She wasn't a practitioner. She kind of got blown open. But then things came back, but she knew to question them because that experience of emptiness felt so real that she knew that anything that was coming up, even if it felt also so real, was not, was part of, the 
illusion and that she had just for so much of her life, maybe lifetimes, just believed those thoughts. So her whole method of practice is just questioning thought. Which is a little different than Zen, but it has that same flavor of beginning to recognize what is what is most true is a question you might hear a Zen teacher give you as a koan to kind of get to this point. But from insights like this, people are often filled with compassion or clarity or a sense of possibility or wonder or humility or confidence and all of them can coexist. And probably perhaps to parts of us, um, that sounds bad or terrifying or impossible or not at all interesting or like a pathology. And, and we don't live in the peak experiences of openings like that. Like I said, most openings kind of close back up. And if you're working with a teacher or part of a sangha, you might um, get to work with the koans to kind of keep that up or some other practice to kind of keep the insight or integrate the insight of, of emptiness. And then we just keep walking the path. And some people think, oh, like I'll have an enlightenment experience and everything will take care of itself. And that's not actually usually how it happens. We might get less caught in certain habits, but also having an opening can make space for new challenges to bubble up from the unconscious that we weren't aware of. So like back to the path of healing and integrating those. Um, or we might find external circumstances coming together that demand us to live a more selfless, compassionate life. So our, our lives come forward to like invite us to keep practicing and, and to stay open. And yet if the circumstances are challenging, we may you know, get pulled back into fear or depression or anxiety or fear, feel their pulls. So in any, in any sense, like both in the path of healing or the path of awakening or the ways they move together, we're invited to just keep practicing. And to keep practicing means like to keep grounding our attention in the present moment through the body, keep coming back home to ourselves, keep practicing loving kindness and compassion, and then also keep investigating what is this self? Who is it that's aware? And that question can get deeper and it can be even that question for, for, for folks who've had experiences of, of seeing through certain aspects of the self can open them back up into that um, insight and then they can practice from there. So I know that was probably a lot and it's a lot of concepts for something that is hard to conceptualize, but important, I think, important discussion, and I hope to continue, um, you know, just having, having that framework operating 
as we continue practicing together. I'm curious if anyone has uh, any questions.